This is the Disciple Makers Podcast by Discipleship.org. You're listening to Season 7, and every week this season will bring you content about making disciples. Discipleship.org brings together other like-minded organizations who are all focused on making disciples. Our goal is to help you become a Jesus-style disciple maker. The track session you're about to hear today is about connecting culture to kingdom. And one aspect of discipleship that comes out in this five-episode series is that discipleship has different contexts. Bobby Harrington, point leader for Discipleship.org, has co-authored a book with Alex Absalom on this topic called Discipleship That Fits. Well, Discipleship.org has partnered with Zondervan to release this sampler as a free ebook. Understand discipleship in the major forms it can take in terms of the group size from our personal walk with Christ to the crowds. Download this for free at discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. That's discipleship.org slash ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. Today we're featuring an episode from Navigators Church Ministries and their track at the National Disciple Making Forum called Connecting Culture to Kingdom. The episode for today is called Connecting Culture to Kingdom through Mission Clarity, featuring Justin Gravitt. Well, good afternoon. How are we all doing? I'm Justin Gravitt. It's good to see you guys here. You are in the Navigators Church Ministries track, so hopefully you're in the right spot. We're glad to have you. I am super excited about our track this year. This is our fourth year here, and I've never been more excited about a track than this one. Um, Just the, the things that we have coming up. Um, including this workshop, but all the the four next ones as well. And we'll talk a little bit more about that. But one of the the motivations behind our track this year, focusing on King Jesus. King Jesus was about reaching the lost. He came to seek and save what was lost. And being a part of this forum for, uh, like I said, four years now, I've noticed that a lot of what's focused on is disciple-making, disciple-making culture within the church. And what gets left out a lot of times is how are we doing outside the church? Because we heard all those stats in, in the last large group session about how the culture outside the church is continuing to move further and further away from Jesus and away from the church. And a lot of times it at this forum in particular, in our tracks in the past as well, have focused on how do we build a disciple-making culture in the church? And we haven't yet dove into how do we, how do we effectively bring the kingdom to the culture? or the culture to the kingdom. And so today, that's where we are going to be focused, and uh, tomorrow as well, how do we do that effectively? And so our five tracks here, we're having Mission Clarity is the session that you're in now. Uh, Bill Mowry is going to lead the next session on church strategy. So from a church perspective, how do we organize ourselves in ways that we can engage the culture effectively? And then Mary Schaller is going to talk about the art of conversation, and so how do, we, how do we effectively talk to those that are very different from us and who have different values? How do we talk in ways that bring them closer to Jesus and don't push them further away from who he is and what he's calling them to? And then Tony Miltenberger is going to talk about how do we leverage sports and that huge idol in our culture uh, for the kingdom? And how do we not uh, push it away or totally avoid it, but how can we jump in and engage it effectively? He's a, a local pastor Uh, in Dayton, Ohio, where I'm from as well. And then finally, Mary Schaller is going to do another workshop for us on leading groups, 
targeted at non-believers. And so, like I said, I'm super excited uh, about all five of these tracks. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, let me just take a moment and pray uh, for our time together in the, in the tracks to come. King Jesus, you are here. You lead us. Lord, help us to just have a heart of submission to you. I pray that during our time over the next couple of days that you would make it very clear what it is you're calling us to. Lord, you'd make it very clear uh, what areas of our life we've not yet surrendered to you or where we're paying lip service to certain things, but we're not really engaging uh, where you've called us to. Lord, make us moldable. Help us to be teachable. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so for me, I'll introduce myself a little bit. My name is Justin Gravitt. I'm on Navigator Church Ministry staff. It is a branch of the Navigator. So many of you have heard the Navigators. We have staff that are specifically targeted at helping pastors and church leaders um, become disciple makers and help their churches become disciple-making churches. So I've been with the Navigators for almost 20 years now. It'll be 20 years next May. Um, and I live in Dayton, Ohio with my family. We have four kids, two of which um, have a lot of runny noses right now. Uh, my wife said she's been woken up by many things, but it was only a few nights ago it was something new. My son came in and said his nose was running. And so, okay, well, we'll take care of that. Um, so that's a little bit about me. I'm in Dayton, Ohio, working with a number of churches uh, and pastors, helping them with disciple-making. Prior to that, I was a missionary with my family in Thailand, and so the nations and reaching the lost is a huge burden of my heart and my life. And part of the reason I'm choosing to engage with Navigator Church Ministries out of all the branches of the NAVs that I could engage with is because I believe if we don't get the local church focused on making disciples, not only of those who are inside the church, but even and especially those who aren't yet in the church, then those stats that we saw in the large group session are just going to continue to snowball. And so that's a little bit about me. Um, now, we've been sitting a lot already today, and so I thought, what could be better than playing a card game together? Okay? So you were all given a card. Does everybody have a card? If you don't, raise your hand. Okay. There will be a winner of this card game. You want that winner to be you, because there's a prize. Okay? Woo! Thank you. Prizes. Yes. Okay. So here's what you got. You got two minutes to sort yourselves. Go. Go. Two minutes. The countdown is on. Time's up. Okay, sit with your group or near your group. I know you might have to move your stuff. Sit with your group or near your group. I understand. It's chaotic. You might have to move your stuff. It's annoying. It's going to be okay. Then near your group. Sit with your group or near your group. Excellent. We've effectively emptied out the middle of the room. That was an unintended consequence. Okay, the winner of the game. This gentleman right here, Chris. Congratulations. Thanks. You're the winner. All right. So Chris got a book called The Fruitful Life. Okay, now let's talk about what, what groups did you guys, what, what happened here? 
How did you sort yourselves? Spades? By suits. What did you do that for? It was simple, easy, logical. So we had four groups. Is that what we ended up with? Clubs, spades, diamonds. We had the misfits. Misfits, hearts. One heart. A joker. Okay. Okay. Um, why was Chris the winner? <laughs> I like winners. Okay. He said I like him best. Well, I do like winners. Um, no, Chris was the winner because he did it the best. He did it the best. Thank you. Okay. What was the goal of the game? To win. I told you at the front, this is a competitive game. There will be a winner. You want to win. The goal of the game was to win. Chris won. The rest of you hopefully enjoyed the game, but you did not win. Okay. What were the rules of the game? There were some rules, and you knew some of them. Sort yourselves, that was a rule. You had two minutes to do it. Any other rules? Not really. But somehow all of you guys created rules for yourselves, didn't you? How long did it take for you guys to figure out that you were going to sort by suit? Did anybody propose that you do something different? Yeah. Number. Number? Okay. <laughs> Thought about doing it by number. Couldn't get enough traction. Why didn't you guys want to sort by number? Smaller groups. In smaller groups. Okay. So you wanted to be... Okay. <laughs> okay. So it's relational. Didn't want to deal with the number side of it. This game's a lot like disciple making in the church. Because we're all trying to play a game, we don't know the rules. And we look around for who the winners are, and we try to figure out, well, why was Chris the winner? And how can I do what Chris is doing? But the thing is, when we don't know the rules of the game, we fall back to games we played before. That's why you sorted by suit. Because all of you have probably played games or heard of card games where suits are very important. And so in disciple making, that's what often happens when we don't have clarity on what it is we're doing in disciple making. We revert back to what we know. And then we hope that we're going to win the game, even though we don't have clarity on what we want and we don't have clarity on exactly how to win. And so we revert back. So I say this, when we don't have clarity on the, goal, on the goal or the rules, we fall back on games we play, we've played before and we hope for the best. In the church, that's what disciple-making often is. And we don't want to get too far out. I was hoping one of you would have said, you know, well, I got the joker, or I'm the only heart, so I'm my own group. Or even better, I'm the only three of hearts, and so no, I'm not going to join your heart group. I'm my own group. Right? Something different. Something outside. Right? Because we can't all be Chris as much as we would like to be. 
We can't all be Chris. So let's talk about this together. How do you evaluate success in disciple making in your church? Because we evaluate it here. The reason Chris was the winner was just a random choice. He had a hat on. He stood out in the crowd. And I said, that guy's the winner right there. But oftentimes in church, we see and we look at traditional metrics and we say, well, that church must be winning in disciple making because of what is measured. What is measured in most churches? Numbers of what? Attendance. How many people are coming on Sunday? Nickels and noses. How, how, many, how much money is coming in? Baptisms. Yeah. So how many converts do we have? How many professions of faith do we have? That's the traditional way to measure success in disciple-making, which is really easy for me to sit outside and evaluate lots of churches and say, that church is winning. But it doesn't mean they're winning disciple-making, does it? But oftentimes when we don't have clarity on what winning looks like, again, we'll revert back to games we've played before. Even though, and what I have found as I've worked with uh, dozens of churches, that even once we get the language of disciple-making right, a lot of times the clarity isn't there. And so we're using the language of disciple-making, but we're still not aiming at what Jesus aimed at. We're moving backwards to those other metrics. How does a church win in disciple-making? Or in other words, what's the ultimate goal of making disciples? Okay. Kentucky fans says be more like Jesus. People who make disciples. Which Jesus did, so those are kind of in alignment. Other thoughts? We become a church that matters to your community. Say it again. We become a church that matters to your community. You become a church that matters to your community. Okay. And we'd have to think, what does that mean to matter? Matter in what way? There's a million things we can think about. And we're going to get to ultimate goal, but what rules does your church follow in disciple-making? Think about that. What rules does your church follow in disciple-making? One of the questions I will sometimes ask the pastors I'm working with, I'll say, well, if disciple-making doesn't bring one new convert into your church, doesn't bring a new member, drive some people away, and the giving is going to go down, Let's just imagine that that might be true as you begin this journey of making disciples in the church. Are you willing and are you committed enough to doing what Jesus did in the ways that he did it that you will accept all those things? Because some churches, they play by different rules, so they'll say, well, yeah, we want to go down this road of disciple-making as long as these other things don't fall. Sometimes that works out. A lot of times there's some conflict there. Without clarity on the goal or the rules, we fall back on games we've played before and we hope for the best. So let's talk about some different disciple-making games that churches play. Or another way to say that is um, 
different reasons that churches engage in disciple-making, different reasons people use the language of disciple-making and are trying to implement it in their church, their ultimate goal could be one of five things and maybe more, but at least these five. First one is survival. So I've worked with a church where they were declining rapidly. They'd gone from 500 down to about 100 when they met me. And as we talked, what was really clear was they just wanted to stop the decline. And they wanted to figure out how do we survive so that the 100 that are here are going to have a church in five years. And I asked them, I said, well, what are you measuring? Oh, measuring attendance, measuring this, measuring that. Okay. Success for them was survival. That's a game churches play. That's a reason that some churches come to disciple making or maybe here at this forum to figure out how can we, how can we stop that. Second one, attractional. And the attractional model of church, many of us are familiar with it, but the, the goal is to grow, bring people in. And so now that we're beginning to hear more and more about disciple-making and guys like Todd Wilson and Bobby and lots of others who are here are talking about how the church is in danger, pastors are feeling it because no longer do people come to a city and say, well, where's the church I'm going to go to? It's becoming less and less common. And so we have to do better, be better, get better so that we can bring more people in and retain them, disciple-making, Right? A lot of times, if you have this mindset, attractional is, how do we retain our people? How do we train them up so that they're not going to go somewhere else? They're getting fed here. Okay? I'm not saying it's wrong. It's not what Jesus did. I'm not saying it's abiblical, though. Third game people play, spiritual leader. So we want to engage in disciple-making so that we can raise up spiritual leaders in our church and for our church. And so churches that do this, the pastors, the first people they will be thinking about discipling are the next generation of elders or spiritual leaders or pastors. And so, okay, yeah, let's, let's figure that out. Let's get them up to speed because we didn't get that. And now, you know, we have a lot of people who aren't trained and developed in their faith. Fourth one, missional. This one's a little different. So the first three were aimed in to the church, weren't they? So help the church survive, help attract people in so that we can grow, because growing is success. The third one was uh, spiritual leaders, so leaders for the church and for the things that we have going on there. But missional is outside, so the focus is, well, we want to raise up disciples so that we can reach people out here. And churches that do that are so focused out there, if that's their mission, and that's the entirety of their vision, they're so focused out there that they're neglecting what's happening inside the church. And then finally, generational. Generational. Generational is kind of a blend of many of these. It's the idea that not only are we engaging in disciple-making to reach those who aren't in the church, we engage in discipling to help those people mature and grow so that they eventually become spiritual leaders and disciple-makers themselves to serve both inside the church and outside the church. But here's what I found in, in ministry, and I represent one of over 100 Navigator Church Ministries staff around the country. 
Here's what we found, is that most churches are not focused out at all in disciple-making. Most pastors that speak the language of disciple-making aren't making disciples or are only making disciples of those who are within the walls of the church. Many pastors have zero real relationships with non-believers. And I work with pastors and I love pastors and I get the struggle. Because the pastor goes to work every day surrounded by believers. The layperson goes to work every day and probably is a mix, maybe more non-believers and believers around them. I get the struggle. But the reality is most pastors who have that struggle give lip service the idea of reaching the lost, but don't practice it in their own life. And I believe that deeply grieves the heart of Jesus. Because we're talking the language of disciple-making, and we're missing the heart that Jesus had. Disciple-making games. At your table, in your group, let's spend five minutes, and I want you guys to, to talk together about where does your church fit out of those five. If you had to pick one, or maybe it's a blend of two, where does your church fit? And what currently do you measure? Okay. If you're unclear on where your church fits, I would suggest that if you look closely at what you measure, it will help you understand more deeply at where your church fits. Okay. So we're going to take five minutes to do that. All right, let's begin to come back together. So one of the things that we believe is that we need to be learning from one another. There's a lot of wisdom and value in this room. It's not just me. And so that's why we have tables in our workshop rooms. That's why we get you guys in groups and get you interacting. And so let, let's just hear from you guys. What did you hear in your groups? What were some of the games that were most, most prevalent in the churches that you guys are in? Yeah. We're hearing a lot of transition uh, from one to another. Uh, okay. Excellent. So a time of transition where you guys are, are learning that more there's, there's a difference, there's some change that needs to be made to get where you need to be in disciple making. Excellent. Others? Differences amongst leaders of what's the priority or where they're going. Okay. Everybody's on the same page. Okay. So even in the leadership of the church, there's, people aren't on the same page on what, what disciple making is for, what it's about, what the main target of it is. Yeah, probably not working out too well then. <laughs> so there, that's a process too, though, isn't it? Of how do we get our leaders on the same page for where we're trying to go? Because language is super important because when we, if we're not on the same page with the words that we're using, there's no way we're going to be on the same page on the goals that we're trying to get to. Right? So if you think about the Tower of Babel, the only thing God did to disrupt that building was to make it so they couldn't understand each other. Now, we speak the same language, but a lot of times we don't understand each other in disciple-making. We use discipleship. We say, we need to do this, we need to do that. And we use all this language around discipleship, meet with people, mentoring. That's a big one. Mentoring, is that the same as disciple-making? I'm going to say no. 
Um, there's all sorts of differences. Now, there's a lot of similarities too, but if we're not precise in our language and what we're saying, we're not going to get where we want to go together. And eventually, we're going to realize that we're missing each other. And if we're missing each other and we're not driving together on the same road towards the same destination, we're not going to arrive there together. Good. What else? I shared with my table, this is like open heart surgery for me. Mm. Um, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay. Okay. Yes. You, you, you <laughs> You're that. in that tension. Yeah. But it's, it's survival. Okay. Um, survival. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But can you sense, as we name some of these games, can you see how churches start to move in directions based on the presenting needs of the church and the DNA of the church? And a lot of times in disciple-making, people try to bolt on disciple-making to the same DNA that exists in the church instead of trying to figure out how do we bake it in to everything that we're doing. And so we play these games. So let's talk a little bit about the, the true north or the bullseye of disciple-making. If we could say it as clearly as we could say it on what disciple-making is, and what our goal should be as a disciple-making church, what would we say? And how do you arrive at that? I probably set that bar too high. <laughs> let's, let's say some things that it could be. You don't even have to think that it should be, but what could it be? Good. So teach somebody to follow Christ, follow him, follow in his footsteps. Yeah. Somebody who can feed themselves. I mean, I think it's somebody who has come along this well enough that they know how to, they, they use the word resilient defense there, but I mean, that mm. might be they, they don't, they don't need somebody to hold their hand through every last thing. They already know what to do. Mm-hmm. So they can feed themselves, there's some resiliency. They don't need hand-holding, although we would be with others, right? We don't want to be isolated, but we don't need to be dependent upon them, right? I think that's what you're communicating. Absolutely. Other thoughts? Yeah. For me, it's a person who can do those things that can teach someone else to do them. Good. A person who can do those things and teach someone else to do them as well. Okay? Do you have something? Same. Good. Great. So intentionally investing in others, it's not just all about you, right? There's an outward perspective. Anyone else? For me, it's teaching, teaching. It's teaching others to be teachers. Teaching teachers. I like that. So teaching others to be teaching others to be teaching others. There's an element of it, too, where you see people that, that move toward those that are coming in. Because it's so easy to be involved in, in our circle, and we can be discipling others and, and doing some good things. Mm-hmm. Yet if you walk, watch people walk into the church, but they don't connect, they don't leave out. Then we, right. just, we find ourselves just becoming more concentrated on, on just us. Uh-huh. Good. So I like that idea of moving towards others to bring them in. All right, so we think about Jesus. He was an initiator, wasn't he? He was constantly moving out. God is initiating God. Right, he sent Jesus to us. He didn't say, well, figure it out yourselves. You know, He sent Jesus to us, and then Jesus was proclaiming the whole time why he was here, what he was doing. 
I love that. Anyone else? Let's look at three scriptures together. So I'm going to ask somebody to read these. Um, actually, I'll read them for the recording. Um, so first one, Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. We're probably familiar with this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Okay, so out of the things that you guys said already, what, what do we see in here? There's a lot that you guys said already, right? So there's teaching. There's obeying. Right? So a lot of times we miss that, that it's not focused at the head, it's focused at the heart and the feet. Right? So we're teaching to obey. What else in there? You guys have already said a lot of it. Going. going. There's initiating, moving outward. Baptizing. Baptizing. So we're helping people come in. Helping them align themselves with Jesus. So we're becoming like Jesus, helping them to become like Jesus. Okay? So that's a piece of the picture. That's, that's a piece of this bullseye, this true north that we're thinking of. has to include all these things. Okay, next scripture. Philippians 2, 14 through 16. Says this. Do everything without complaining or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without faith in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. And Paul says, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. I love this verse. It's not typically a disciple-making verse, but I think we need to be talking about it more and absorbing the truths out of this verse more. Okay, so the 14 is kind of setting it up. Do everything without complaining or arguing so that we might become blameless and pure children of God. Well, where? Where, Paul? In a crooked and depraved generation. In a crooked and depraved generation. Well, what do we do there? In which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life. You see, our lives as disciples are meant to be aimed and lived out in the darkness. And if we're playing the church games of attractional, spiritual leader, or survival, we are not at all oriented towards the darkness. We are oriented towards the church and the light that's in the church and making sure that light continues, which is not abiblical, it's not bad. But when it becomes the, the focus, I would suggest that that's not what Jesus did and it's not what Paul did. This idea that if we are going to be like Jesus, we need to have the passions of Jesus and the mission of Jesus, which was to seek and save lost things. As we hold out the word of God in the darkness, we shine like stars in a crooked and depraved generation. Finally, Isaiah 49, 6. It's a messianic passage. Uh, so we'll just recognize that. But it says, He says, It is too small of a thing for you to be my servant, to restore the tribes of Jacob, and bring back those of Israel I have kept. 
I will also make you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. First person to disciple me challenged me with this verse. He said, Justin, look what's going on here. Justin, this says it's too small of a thing to bring back those of Israel and to restore the tribes of Jacob. What do you think that means? I was like, yeah, I don't know. I was like 21. I'm like, no, no idea. Um, and he begins to unpack it for me. He said, well, that was, that was Jesus' heritage. You know, your heritage is what? You know, I grew up in the church, but, you know, I have a typical story in many ways, strayed. But he said, well, you know, as a disciple, it's too small of a thing for you to help other Christians only. That's not what it's about. That's a part of what it's about. But that's not all of what it's about because look what else it says. I will also make you a light to the Gentiles that you might bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. And he really helped form in me and helped me to see that it's not one or the other, it's both. When we talk about disciple making in the church, we have to have both in our sights. So the bullseye of disciple making or a disciple making culture in the church is not just a healthy church that's functioning, you know, really well, that people are coming in and there's lots of people, lots of money, lots of the things we like to measure and have been raised measuring. But you know, if it's a healthy disciple-making church and disciple-making culture, that church and those people involved are also engaging, effectively engaging those who aren't there, those who are a part of a crooked and depraved generation of which we once were a part of that as well. But if we don't have clarity on the goal of the rules, we fall back on games we played before and we hope for the best. So we do. So let reflect back to me. What are you hearing is the bullseye. And challenge, if you want to push back, push back. What, do you, what are you hearing is the bullseye of disciple-making? three of those texts um, point to his uh, identity. Hmm. And so the, even the the, um, the Great Commission, something we didn't talk about was the um, all authority has been given to Christ. And that authority has been given to us hmm. to go and make disciples. It's not just like, he's not just saying, go do it. He's like, no, not only do you, I'm giving you the authority of my letter, you go with it, and at the end it says, I'll go with you. Mm, I like that. And, and then even the next one, stars that shine, you know, that demands explanation. If we are shining and, and if we're changed, if our identities change, people should demand what is going on, why are you shining, mm-hmm. so all these kind of have to do with who, who we become in Christ right. and part of that family. Yeah, good. So... All of those have to do with identity, who we become as disciples. His identity becomes ours. His mission becomes ours. Heard a question just a couple weeks ago. I've been just mulling over it. If somebody followed you and did what you did, would the kingdom of God accomplish what it's been called to accomplish? Just you. If they followed just you around and did exactly what you did or effectively what you're doing, Would the kingdom of God be able to accomplish what God has called us to accomplish? 
that's stuck with me because it challenges me. Is I think, well, you know, I, I train disciples and I help people become disciple makers and I'm working with non-believers, but my effectiveness with non-believers is still not where I want it to be. And I don't control that. I don't control all of that, but I control pieces of it, right? So I control the conversations I'm having, et cetera, et cetera, which transition us, transitions us to the next question we need to think about. So if those are things that we looked at before are the old metrics. Those are the things that were measured traditionally. What do you think a disciple-making culture would measure? How would we evaluate success? So if the bullseye is making disciples in the church, impacting and affecting, bringing people, helping them introduce and know and follow and love Jesus and embrace his mission of those who currently aren't in the church, if it's these two things together as our bullseye, how would we effectively measure that in the church? Five minutes in your groups. All right, let's come back together. What are the ideas that surface in your group? What are ways that we could measure disciple-making in the local church? What did you guys come up with? Relationships. Relationships? Relationships, groups, you know, what, what's taking place there. Okay. You know, just because you're in a group doesn't mean that disciple-making is happening, but to make a disciple, you've got to have time. you got to spend time with somebody, so there's relationships. Okay. Good. So measuring relationships or especially measuring disciple-making groups or disciple-making relationships. So how many people are actually discipling somebody or a few somebodies? Right? There are some pastors I'm working with that I asked them that question and they didn't know. And I was surprised. I said, you don't know because we're pretty far down the road. And he said, no, should I know that? I said, well, how else are you going to measure? You know, how do you know if anyone's being discipled if you don't know who's discipling? Well, I guess that's a good point. Okay, so that's one. That's a great one. What else? What else can we measure? He's got really good stuff over here. Okay, you've been voluntold. Okay. Um, I thought, um, how, many, how many of your leaders are discipling? Good. How many of your leaders are discipling? Elders. Mm-hmm. If you don't, if you have 90%, wow, you have buy-in. Right. If you don't, there's something really wrong. Yeah, good. So that's a way not only to assess if the leaders or elders are discipling, but to what degree they're on board with the ideas, right? It's one thing to talk about it, but it's another thing to want to do it. I had a church come to me two weeks ago. I had a meeting with them, just heard back on an email that uh, the pastor asked his elders, how many of you guys are discipling someone? And the pastor's not yet either, by the way, but they said, he told me none of them are, but they all talked about how important it was. I said, okay, well, that's a starting point, okay? We can start from there, and they understand that they need to, to grow into this. But it's one thing to talk about. It's another thing to do it. Absolutely. What else? How many of the leaders are still learning from others as well? Good. How many of the leaders are still learning from others or being discipled? Who you're listening to, who's influencing your life, who's pouring into you as well. Mm-hmm. Good. So having a pulse on that. Good. Other things, kind of big, if you're thinking about the whole community, the whole church community, what can you measure? You said another good one, too, uh, uh, replication, right? So, you know, like we use, I think we use the terminology, you know, you got these discipleship relationships, but what generation are those? And 
with is he the product of or she a product of someone that discipled her that discipled her mm -hmm. just looking at replication good as a, as a way to measure yes yes absolutely so measuring the replication um and what i call them disciple making chains Right? So do we know what are we seeing third generations, third links in the chain, fourth links, fifth links? What are we seeing? And how many of those are we seeing? The first two links are really easy. Really easy. Get one guy, help him help somebody else with a guy, or one group and another group. The hard part comes the third one because then the third one, that means that whoever was being discipled has to say, Okay, I'm gonna go do this too now. It was not just about me. Right? Good. For the sake of time, let me give you some that I thought of. Okay, and they'll come up behind me as well. Um, so we can still measure things like baptism, new members, but we oftentimes churches just measure now. Well, if we're discipling effectively, we should be able to say how many of those people that we baptized three years ago are still around, or five years ago, or ten years ago. By name, are they still around? An extension of that, how many of them have become leaders in the church? Not just they're around, they come on Sundays, but how many have become leaders? And how many are making disciples? Uh, we mentioned this one already, how many uh, disciple chains of three plus generations have emerged, emerged in the past year, three years, five years, ten years? If we're building a movement, those numbers should be expanding and multiplying, right? If we're finding a cap after three years or five years, then we need to delve into that. What's happening? Why is this not moving outward anymore? And one tip, I found that disciple-making momentum will die in a church if it doesn't get outside the church. And so you can have a lot of movement, a lot of momentum inside the church, people discipling one another, having discipling groups, but if they never move out and impact people that aren't a part of the church, that will die. And so that's a good um, thing that you can measure to see. Uh, last one, how many non-Christians have been relationally reached? Key phrase, relationally reached over the past year, three years, five years, ten years. So if we are living in the darkness, if we're aimed at the darkness the way that Jesus was, then we should be able to see non-believers being reached and brought to Christ and brought into the church. Not as a result of a fancy program or attractional event, but as a result of someone loving someone else and showcasing who they are and who Jesus is to them. That's a few, right? There's a lot, lot more that we could be talking about. But we have to change the metrics, and when we change the metrics, then we can effectively measure. But we can't change the metrics until we have clarity on disciple-making. Real fast, most famous painting in the world. Picture it in your mind. Got it? What is it? Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa. Great. You all know it, right? Have clarity on the most famous picture in the world. Now let me ask you this question. What color are her eyes? What color is she wearing of her clothes? What's in the background there behind her? Most people can't answer those questions. So something that we thought we had clarity on just a few seconds ago, we now realize we don't really have clarity on it. It's the same thing with disciple making so often. And so we have to communicate and delve deep into what we're saying with the words that we're using. And when we do that at a leadership level, then we can get people on board and moving in the same direction and aimed at the goals that Jesus had and that he modeled for us in disciple-making. And we can leave behind 
the games that we used to play and we stop bringing those rules and those metrics into disciple making. That's my encouragement to you. We're almost out of time. The cards are yours to keep. Um, Nice bookmark, okay? Uh, Two websites on here. The first is navigatorschurchministries.com. We have a staff team of over 100 staff around the country, and we are boots on the ground to help local church pastors and church leaders, and we walk alongside and help in forming a disciple-making culture. If you're interested in learning more, go to that website. The other website is my own. Uh, I put out blogs, disciple-making tips every two weeks. Um, I mentioned a little bit earlier, disciple-making mentoring. Are they the same thing or not? Answers on the blog. As far as what I think about it, you could just Google disciple-making mentoring in my last name, and it'll come right up. Okay, that's a, that's a good sample for you of things that I put out. So if you like that, you might want to subscribe. Um, in the third workshop, uh, Mary Schaller is going to be talking about the nine arts of conversation. At our book table, we have the full book of the nine arts, but we also have these primers. If you stay for the third workshop today or if you come back for it, then you will get, um, you'll be able to get a primer for free um, as a part of that. Our next workshop, Bill Mowry is going to share on church strategy. So assuming that all, we get the church on board with the target and we're all speaking the same language, how do we orient the church and develop a strategy on reaching people that aren't a part of the church? So I'd encourage you to stay for that. Um, appreciate you guys coming. Let me close this in prayer. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the king. We thank you that if we just set our eyes on you and continue to develop and become just like you, that you will use our lives in mighty ways. And we thank you for being included in that call, included in your kingdom, and included in the privilege that it is to make disciples. I pray that you bless each one of us throughout the next couple days and help us to apply the things that we're learning and the things that we're hearing and that the Holy Spirit is uh, nudging us to think more about and to go home and to apply. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That's it for today's episode. Check out the sampler for Bobby Harrington's book with Alex Absalom called Discipleship That Fits. Download this for free at discipleship.org ebooks and look for Discipleship That Fits. Thanks for listening. Until next time.